If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Psalms. Go on to Psalm 78. I think that, that chapter has over 60 verses, but we're going to really focus in on the first eight. Here we read, A Mascal of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established the testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that in the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. So that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you just for bringing us all together today, Lord. I just pray that you give us understanding of your word. The words of my mouth be pleasing to you, God. We trust in you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So each and every week, as Jessica alluded to this morning in the children's message, we repeat the Great Commission. By doing so, we agree with each other that this means our missions, not, not only as individuals, but as a whole church together, are to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, even in Japan, as Hudson said. <laughs> Baptizing these new disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching these new disciples all the commands that Jesus has given, not only just in the Gospels, but also throughout the whole Bible. And we should know and learn from his word. We read, we study, we dig in our Bibles. We really, really want to know our Bibles. Then we'll go and tell. Then we'll challenge these new disciples to grow in their faith and go do likewise. Repeat the process. Read, study, learn, grow, and then Go out and make, tell people and make disciples. That's the plan, right? We know from the Great Commission that one of the most important pieces of it is he's not leaving us alone to complete this task. He gives us comfort. He says, behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. So from now till the end of the age, we have confidence and comfort knowing that Jesus is with us. And we take, as we take on this task, we know that Jesus is with us. He's given us that command. But I think that we limit ourselves when we think about the nations. As Hudson alluded to with Japan, you know, we think of nations being way out there. Way out there, right? We, or we consider this just purely missionary work, right? It's true. Out there is way out there. 
And God's put it on hearts and, and cleared paths for men and women, people to go all over the world to the highest mountain peaks, to the densest jungles, crowded skyscraper urban areas, even to the smallest unknown uncharted islands. Yes, the nations is surely way over there. But it's also out these doors into our familiar territories of Bear Creek Church Road, Lentz Harnishop Road, Dutch Road, Finger Road. We think of the nations that way. We don't usually do. We think of them as, as a community. But the nations is out there and also around here. Then we narrow this focus a little bit further. Who are we going to? Who comprises the nations? And we would say men, women, and children. I think we sometimes forget about the children, right? I think that uh, the Great Commission surely includes children. And children are like little sponges, for better or for worse, right? They see us, they do, they replicate. They hear, they repeat. Again, better or for worse. But they're great at absorbing knowledge and learning. Psalm 78 gives us specific directions to consider children a very special and important part of the Great Commission. And since we are called to make disciples by investing our time, efforts, and energy in our abilities in fulfilling the Great Commission, we can and should Include children in this task. So how do we accomplish this? Church, get ready. Incline your ears to what I'm about to say. By going and telling the next generation all the things that Jesus has commanded. I repeat. How do we accomplish this? By going and telling the next generation all the things Jesus has commanded. So today we'll look at Psalm 78 under these three headings. The first one's the longest, so bear with me. We go and tell the next generation by teaching. By teaching. We go and tell the next generation by teaching. This is, this is point two. By teaching with a desire to see hearts changed. And then we go and tell the next generation by teaching with a desire to see heart change by taking action. Those are the three steps we're going to go through today. So hang on. Here we go. We go and tell the next generation by teaching. Okay, looking in your Bibles right before you here, we have in verse 4, tell to the coming generation. Verse 5, he commanded our fathers to teach their children. So it's very, very plain to us that this is a task, right? Asaph, the writer of the psalm, you see the masculine of Asaph, is encouraging the parents to be teachers. Not speaking in a higher lofty way, but like a parable, stories and concepts that people can easily understand them, right? We know that that's how parables are defined, so that's how we teach them. Plain, easy to understand. And it sounds mysterious, we keep reading on in here. The dark sayings of old. But it's hardly mysterious in that they were all told. um, They were all well told old stories. We take advantage of having old stories around us today. 
Because of the modern world, they want to constantly change our old stories, don't they? Instead of more or less, it relies on fresh stories or ideas. Some historians are actually rewriting history to make it more exciting and more uh, uh, fresh for young people. All the while, all the while distorting and changing the old stories that have been around for a long time. And these old stories have been faithfully handed down, faithfully, generation after generation. And this is how they handed them down. They just told them over and over again. Excited children and adults. They, they told the same stories because everyone really wanted to hear them. And my Uncle Jerry was one who could tell a great story. He would gather us kids around. Every time we had the opportunity to be around him, he'd gather us around and give us a really great story. Jerry's stories were made up. They were embellished a little bit. But he could pull us all in and keep us interested to where we, we wanted to hear them. We, we just wanted to hear them over and over again. No matter how much time had passed, we would get, go back up to the mountain where he lived and said, well, actually, we probably pleaded with him, Jerry, Uncle Jerry, please, tell us that story you told us last time. Months might have passed since the last time we saw him. He would, without skipping a beat, just jump right in and start telling that same old story again. That same old sorry punchline, too, at the end. We'd groan and laugh, but we wanted to hear it. We loved him for it. That's what you do with kids. You tell them these great stories from the Bible. And we don't have to make them up. We don't have to embellish them any because... They're so full of action and excitement. Um, we're making much of the main character of the Bible. Look at verse 4. We will not hide them from their children. Now, I'm thinking that here, for us, it's tempting to gloss over Scripture that we've perceived too difficult for children. I think they might not understand it, especially if we're having a hard time understanding it ourselves. It's hard to tell stories, too, about our past, or maybe our father's past, or our our father's father's past, if it paints our family in a bad light. Generations have passed. But we're, we're called here not to do that with Scripture, right? We're not supposed to hide any Scripture from our children, but to teach them, answer their questions. Children have lots of questions. We'll sit down with them, and they'll just continue to pepper us on and on with questions. We might not know the answer, but we have our Bibles right in front of us to provide the answers to us. That's all they want to hear. This psalm reminds us who God is. And it's not me. It's not you. The main character is not us. It's God. God is the main character. We mess up. God always rescues. We complain. God always provides. We, we break rules. God always restores us. We turn our backs. God preserves a remnant. We wander around like lost sheep. God raises up a shepherd like David to point us to the perfect shepherd we have in Jesus. All of Scripture, from beginning to end, tells the story of who God is, what he has done. Then we, in turn, teach our children everything begins and ends with God. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the supreme creator and sustainer of everything. He is ruler. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is supreme. We are essentially teaching the characteristics of God. 
The characteristic of God is who he is and what he's like. And we're really getting specific as we can on how God reveals himself in his word. We learn the most about God by seeing his past glorious deeds, as it says here, in his works. Just look how this psalm, and, and again, we're looking at the first eight, but I want, when we really look at the whole psalm in itself, just, just how he provides details about God. And in their sight, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt. He divided the sea and let them pass through it. God did this. He rescued his people. He didn't just leave them stranded on the beach right before the Red Sea. He didn't just lead them out of Egypt to abandon them and have them return back to Egypt. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that had been like for the Israelites to be abandoned and, Israel, and Egypt came and got them and brought them back? I mean, before they, they had to make bricks without straw. Can you imagine what Egypt would have done to them then? God didn't do that, though. Right? God made, God made a way. He, went to, he didn't go to such lengths to leave them and forsake them. They went through the Red Sea. They walked on dry ground to safety. And before their very eyes, before their very ears, they heard Moses say, fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you'll never see them again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. This is God and doing it all. We don't have to do a thing. We just hush our mouths and see the salvation of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Do we know this? Do we know this? Can we, can we tell it? Can we retell it? He led them through the wilderness with a cloud and a fiery light. He was leading them purposefully. He gave them direction on how to proceed, when to pick up, when to move, when to stop, when to stay. He watched over them. He protected them. He led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Do we know this? Can we retell it? He provided water for them, splitting rocks so that they could drink and drink to their fill. He provided food for them by giving them manna and quail. He sent them food again and again using the word abundance. The word abundance, in abundance, he gave them all this, showing that their hunger and thirst was satisfied and they were well fed. Do we know this? Can we retell it? The Psalms telling us plainly that we're in danger, yet God is our rescuer. We need, we can't supply it ourselves, yet God is our provider. We are lost, yet he comes and leads us. God expects his people to keep his covenant and remember his works, to be satisfied in him and to rest in his provision, to believe in him, to trust in his saving power. Stand firm and see the work of the Lord. It applies today just as it did then. Do we dwell on the goodness of God? How great he is, how he watches over us like sheep in the pasture. Do we trust in his good works on a daily basis in our lives and how he works to direct us and steer us back to him? How he provides for us with tender care? Does he dwell so richly in us that it just comes out and we see the need to go and tell the next generation? I hope so. I hope you feel like we still have a voice to the next generation.
The next generation so desperately wants to hear from us. Let's not neglect that. Let's not neglect telling others the glorious deeds of the Lord. Let's not come on Sunday mornings and just fill up our spiritual bellies and do nothing with it. Let the word of God stir in us so greatly that it's hard, hard not to go and tell someone, anyone. We need that drive. We need that passion to be bold. It's not the time to sit still and be passive. This passage also tells us the condition of mankind as having stubborn, rebellious hearts, refusing to walk in the law, forgetting his works and wonders in Egypt, turning their backs on God, being unfaithful, having an unfaithful spirit, refusing to acknowledge God. This is all in 78. And we know it's in Romans 2, right? This is the of Romans 1. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Do we understand? It's hard, though, thinking that we have to teach this to children. It's hard because we see ourselves as good. We compare ourselves to really bad people we see and read about. Makes us feel better about ourselves. But if we're honest, we really look at ourselves. That description of mankind really applies to all of us. Despite the daily work of God in our lives, we still are slow to acknowledge Him, if at all. Because sin's an ugly thing. It's hard to communicate to a child. But we're born in this world, the same sinful state as all men. Spiritually dead. Remember from Romans 3. Here are a few ways. Not all of them. Romans 3, starting in verse 10. None is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks for God. No one does good, not even one. This is the condition of spiritually dead people. And yet, thankfully, God didn't leave us in this sinful state. God made a way because God is compassionate. He did not destroy them, but atone for their iniquity. And God doesn't destroy us, but atone for our iniquity. God made a way. God made the way. And it wasn't by the sacrifice of animals but the sacrifice of his one and only son. To us, he restrains his anger and did not stir up his wrath because at the appointed time, God gave every bit of that wrath and that anger and placed it squarely on his son on the cross. Another way to say it is he blasted his son with full force, anger and wrath. And he is a just God for doing that. Every bit was poured out on him as a sacrifice, as an atonement. Redemption. And Jesus said it is finished. It was truly finished. Atoned for as the sacrificial lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This, this, what I just said is what we should be telling our children the next generation. How well do you know the goodness of God? How well do you even know a handful of these stories told in Psalm 78 by Asaph? How well do you remember them without a Bible right in front of you? If you had a Bible in front of you, would you even know where to look for these stories? Let me encourage you. Read them many, many times. You might know them well, but find your Bible and read through them and read through them and read them and know them well. See the goodness of God. Practice them. Then go and tell someone. 
knowing so well that you can go tell someone and know for a matter of fact, I can tell them that story. I can tell them the story about how God loves and shows steadfast love. We seldom but really should know these stories God has been faithful in our own lives. We should be able to recount with joy many times. Many times he's been merciful and kind to us. And we should be telling our children these same stories. This is the why of the go and tell. Sharing the truth about God's character and his wonderful works from our own lives and from what scripture is, is, is telling is the te- going and telling. But what are we telling? What are we telling our young children? It's sad and unfortunate we get so up on trying to have some assembled gospel presentation or a method that we forget that the simple truth from Scripture or even, our own, even from our own lives is what we should be telling. And it's the simple fact of how God rescues, redeems, provides. That's what we're called to go and tell. So let us know and go do it. That was part one. Part two, we go and tell by teaching the next generation with a desire to see hearts change. A desire to see hearts change is the why we go and tell. Look again at verse seven. So that, so that they should set their hope in God. We're not relaying this simply for information. But we're going to go and tell to see hearts transformed. We want to see hearts changed, even amongst the youngest, smallest child of the next generation. If anything, the teaching of the next generation comes down to what the prophet Jeremiah said in chapter 9. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts. Boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord, that he understands and knows me. Let us know and understand the Lord. Let us read our Bibles and see that this is the Lord who practices steadfast love. As Ray taught in Sunday school this morning, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Let us know that. Let us know about his justice and his righteousness in the earth. Let's read it. Let's know it. Let's tell it. Right? We teach the kids, go and tell. It's almost like we need to practice and practice and practice. And go and tell. <laughs> Let's step through this together. We have God's word. We have it freely available to us. We all should have a copy of God's word, whether it's in a book form or on our phones or tablets. And that word, God's word is living and active. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training up in righteousness that the man of God or the next generation may be equipped for every good work. And in God's word... We can see the whole story has been transpired from a long, long time ago. We see the story of the world and everything God created revolve around him and know that history is another way of saying his story. It's God's story. God's the main character. 
All of history comes from God. And we get to be the ones who act in it and participate in it. And in God's word, we see it points to the central person of our faith, and that's Jesus Christ. We see this from entry into the fallen world, fulfilling prophecy, teaching, telling those around him about the kingdom, and then in steadfast love to the Father, dying on the cross for our sins, taking the full weight of God's justice on himself, and then triumphantly rising from the dead three days later, imparting on us, those who believe, his righteousness. You see that from Jeremiah? Steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. Here it is. Let's read our Bibles, looking at how all of Scripture points to Jesus this way. And then we apply and participate, knowing these stories well, as we already stated. And that's what intentional, I'm repeating this over and over again. What we work, what works the best is to repeat these stories over and over and over again. We read them and read them, practice and practice. You ever practice telling someone something important before you actually went out and told them? I was here yesterday reading this, the same sermon to an empty sanctuary, except for Jessica. She was here. I was practicing. I hadn't been up here so long, I was afraid I'd be up here not knowing what to do or how, how to act. So, but I was practicing. Delivering. I think children can learn this method too, to be, be confident. This is, this is how we work it in rising. You tell them a Bible passage. You tell them to pay close attention and you tell that Bible passage to them. Then you retell it. But you intentionally leave out some spots just to see if they were paying attention. See if they could fill in the blanks, so to speak. And then you let them, this is the third time, you let them retell it to you. But you're willing to help them out. They all won't get it right, but you'll help them out and tell them the certain main parts. And then, here's the one where it gets pretty wild. We, tell them, we have them tell it to us with no help at all. <laughs> four times. That takes up a whole lesson time. But their practice. They hear the story four times. And they know it. It helps them retain the story. It helps us retain stories by hearing them over and over again. Then the last thing we do is we encourage them to go home and tell their families these stories. Or go tell their friends in school. And this is a vision, right? A worthy one to set, not only in their hearts, but our hearts. To know their Bibles well. Can you imagine? What would it look like for these steps up here to be full with so many kids that we wouldn't even know where to put them? What if these children grow up and throw themselves onto a path following God in whatever way he calls them to? Can you envision with me that these children were so rooted in the love of God that they would avoid years of lost confusion, flirtations of the world, the chaos and grow strong in the way that will glorify God and bring them good? How much does it break our hearts to see young people lost and struggling with life stuff these days? Because we haven't given them an anchor in the Lord. What if we, church, made a difference in that? Let's endeavor to make this vision come to a, to a fruition. We, we, that we know 
that it will happen. God can do anything. What if we had this renewed effort and boldness to see the next generation rise up and know their Bibles better than we do? Let's go and tell this next generation. May they have hearts so burdened for the lost around them that they rise up and tell these stories who God is and what he has done and how he saved us. Let's model this for them. Let's model this for them by actually doing it ourselves. In point three, we go and tell the next generation with a desire to see hearts changed by taking action. Teaching children is not optional. Teaching children is not optional. It is a command. The why we do it is to see hearts changed, that the children will set their hope in God, not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. If we fail in our effort to go and tell the next generation the scriptures very point blank, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose heart is steadfast, whose spirit is not faithful to God. And by going and telling the next generation comes down to obedience. How do we do this? I'm going to address this to three groups. Families, we have a responsibility to open God's word together, to read God's word together, talk about God's word together. And by doing it, may it bring us all as a family closer together. Men, husbands, dads, scripture is very specific to be spiritual leaders in our homes. Whether you want to admit it or not, God has made it clear of our responsibilities. Do we do this? It's if so wonderful. Praise God. I encourage you to continue by the grace God gives and provides. It's not an easy road to travel to be consistent. But if you do this, God will be faithful and bless you. If you don't do this or not sure where to start, seek out spiritually mature men and get some ideas on how to start and implement. Ladies, wives and moms, does your husband take on this responsibility at home? If so, rejoice and be glad and love and support him. If there's no effort on his part, then encourage and love him and talk about it. If there continues to be no effort, then pray for him and then take on the responsibility yourselves. Continuing, though, to pray and encourage him. Encourage him to lead. And we have resources available to help you get started. But even if you just spend five minutes a day reading the Bible, talking about it, and then praying, that's a, first, a great place to first start. Read the Bible together, talk about it together, pray together. If you're here single, or you have couples with no children, or even those with adult children, you can still play a pivotal role in the lives of children amongst you. Whether they're here in the church, extended family, children of friends, nieces and nephews, grandchildren, your support and love are invaluable to parents. Besides, you have a voice to young people. Kids seem to think you're a lot cooler and funner than dad. And mom. (laughs) Engage with them and point them to Jesus. And then church, all of us, we have a responsibility 
to see the opportunities that are abundant around us. We have kicked off a ministry called Rising. You've heard about it for over a year now. It's not just once a year, but it's ongoing. It's like VBS or Backyard Bible Club. And it goes throughout the whole year. And it, the name symbolizes the rising generation. The ministry strives to focus on children and youth born both in the church and in the surrounding community. Our desire is for them to really know their Bibles, become men and women of the book, and then teaching them to know and love the Bible. Our prayer is that they would come to saving knowledge and love of Jesus Christ, trust in him in all things, and honor him with their lives. So rising starts back in two weeks. You heard Jessica making the announcement. September 10th. It'll be on Sunday nights from 5.30, 5 to 6.30. About what everyone does. 5 to 6.30. It's like Beckyard Bible Club light. Uh, we have a light supper. 30 minute lesson. Then 30 minutes with a craft. Not everything in one night. It's a craft one week. It's a game one week. Or it's a song to learn one week. And we meet in these five week blocks. Learning Bible stories, repeating them over and over again as described, and then learning how to go and tell them. Eventually, we will get through the entire Bible. That is our dream, to go through the whole entire Bible with our children. And this is a great opportunity for any of you. I'm thankful to everyone who has come and participated with us already. Your presence has been invaluable, very encouraging. And if you haven't been, I want you to come. Come and see. Just be a part of it. If you, just, if you want to teach a lesson, if you want to facilitate a craft, if you want to lead in a game, or just come and hang out, we would love you. We'd welcome you to come and just see what's going on. And this will also give you an opportunity to participate and fill, fulfill in a role in the Great Commission. Let's humbly submit ourselves to Scripture and its commands. Let's take advantage of this fantastic outreach opportunity to the children and parents of the church and into the community. In closing, Deuteronomy 6, there's a command to be diligent in our teaching to the children. We are commanded to make an effort to be consistent in seeing this task complete. Verse 6 says, these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you arise. In all aspects of daily living, you shall talk of these words. So to play our role, role in fulfilling the Great Commission means that we need to be diligent in our teaching. We need to be diligent in expecting transformation of the hearts. And diligent in just doing something, anything, to finish this task. So our opportunities before us to impact children by sharing the gospel and seeing real spiritual growth so that they will become young men and women of the book. And that is our task. That's our hope. That's our dream. And that's what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Lord God, just stir in our hearts. May we see the urgency of this task. May we learn our Bibles. 
really learn our Bibles, Lord, that you have given us. And may we go and tell. It's such a comfort to us, Lord, knowing that you are with us. Let's not get to the end of our days, Lord, and not see fruit. But just see generations of Christians, generations of young men and women. And now, now adults teaching their children, those even yet unborn. Go with us, Lord, as we endeavor to see the reality of this. And we love you in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you.